Tick, tock, tick, tock. This is your James Bond moment. And I was just thinking, I am so dead. True Spies, with me, Hayley Atwell, wherever you get your podcasts. This is I Spy, the show from foreign policy where spies tell their stories. He had very few demands of us, but the one demand that came out to me was that you got to keep this secret. You can't let the whole world know that Vitaly Sergeyevich Yurchenko has defected to the CIA and is spilling the beans on everything that's going on with the KGB operations against the United States of America. And I thought, God, how are we going to do a thing like that? Because it was just going to be in the course of events difficult to do, but as the way it played out, it became impossible. From Foreign Policy and Spyscape, welcome to I Spy. Real-life spy stories told by the people who were there. Each week we feature one former intelligence operative from somewhere around the world describing one operation. I'm Margot Martindale. On today's show, CIA officer Milt Bearden helps a KGB defector make a new life in the United States. But the Russian, Vitaly Yurchenko, discovers America can be a strange and lonely place. The year is 1985, the height of the spy wars between the United States and the Soviet Union. After several postings abroad, Bearden had settled into a job at CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. That's where his story begins. I had barely finished checking in as the deputy chief in the Soviet East European Division at CIA, and late one afternoon in late July was at my desk still trying to figure out what this job was going to be like when I heard almost an animal-type cry from the next office where my boss was ensconced, and I rushed around the corner and he was staring down at a cable on his desk and simply ripped a copy off and handed it to me, and I started reading it. And it was uh, the first substantive report from the defection of a KGB counterintelligence colonel in Rome, Vitaly Yurchenko. And even though I had only been just, God, it seemed like days in, in the... Uh, Soviet division. You know, I'd been in a couple of decades in the CIA, and I took a look at this, and I said, my God, here's a, a senior colonel in the KGB counterintelligence. It doesn't get any better than this. With every defector, particularly somebody like a, a senior colonel in the KGB, when we sit him down in the walk-in room in an embassy. And every embassy has a room sort of near the entrance where you can quickly put one of these guys in and start your debriefing. It's wired for recording and also 
got a camera that's going to be recording the whole story. So when you first start your debriefing, every case officer, junior and senior, has been trained to say, hey, first thing, do you know of any potential hostilities planned by the Soviet Union, in this case, against uh, the United States? Answer from Yurchenko was no. Second question is, do you know of any intelligence penetration by the KGB of any intelligence organization in the United States? The answer on this one was yes. Well, at that moment, we were having huge compromises in Moscow of our asset inventory there. And, and so we were at sort of a general alert status, like something really awful is going on with the CIA operations in Moscow, and then bop, up pops uh, Vitaly Yurchingo in Rome, and he has something that may look like an explanation. He had been, for a few years, posted to the KGB Residentura, which is their station in Washington, and would have known everything they were doing on the east coast of the United States. As we sorted through immediately who to inform about what had happened in Rome, the immediate concern was to get him out of town, to get him moving before the KGB started an all-points bulletin manhunt. Not that we were worried so much about them charging the U.S. Embassy, but that they would get the Italians involved, and, and we didn't want to have to be dealing with the Italians on this, so we moved him very rapidly out of Rome to Siganella, which is a naval air station, and got one of our aircraft, put him on it, and uh, on his way to Andrews Air Force Base with the case officer who had done the debriefing, plus a couple of other officers from Rome. And the next step would be to uh, meet him out in uh, Andrews Air Force Base outside of Washington. And the new dramas begin there. We had decided the night before that the best debriefer for this guy, the one who was probably more encyclopedic in his knowledge and the type of personality that could plug along on a tedious debriefing would be uh, Aldrich Ames. He was going to be out at Andrews to uh, start taking a hard look at this guy, but Ames never showed up. And just about the time the plane rolled up on the ramp. Ames finally showed up looking kind of haggard and bedraggled. We kind of looked at him and I think wrote it off as well. Maybe he was up late last night getting everything ready and didn't sleep well. Anticipation, all of this, because a lot of focus would be on him in the early debriefings. Ames, as we all know, turned out to have been one of Moscow's major penetrations of the CIA's Directorate of Operations. In fact, the moment he was selected to debrief Vitaly Yurchenko, he's been on the payroll of the KGB and run by their superstar KGB officer, uh, Viktor Cherkashin. 
So in retrospect, sure, he spent a, a half a night awake or the whole night awake wondering, holy God, what is this guy going to say? Is he going to give me up? I think he figured that Yurchenko probably didn't know about Ames, otherwise he'd have given him up in Rome, but he had no way of knowing that. So he probably drank himself silly the night before worrying about this, but then he shows up and sort of ostentatiously welcomes Yurchenko to the United States there at Andrews Air Force Base. At any rate, we're quickly loaded up into a caravan and headed for Virginia. We had gotten a very quick local safe house lined up in Oakton, Virginia, less than a half hour from CIA headquarters. We stocked it up the usual things that you you do in a safe house. Cokes and 7-Ups and orange juice and beer and crackers and canned goods and some fruit and bread and peanut butter, anything just to be there ready when it came in with any whim, and then we could we could manage additional stuff later. So we had that all set up. I'm at the safe house at the time this team arrives with a very high-energy, adrenaline-pumping Yurchenko. And at that point, I'm doing my senior officer job, and I welcome him on the behalf of the President of the United States, and take him aside and say, Vitaly, is there anything that you need to talk to someone more senior than me? I can arrange that. And he looked at me and he said, no, I haven't got anything more to to say to, to somebody more senior. This is another standard operating procedure that we have when you get a defector like this, and and let's say some very senior guy's been working for the KGB for the last 15 years, and he's going to want to talk to somebody at the highest level to, to tell him, hey, you've got a big problem and it's this guy or that guy, then we'd have arranged it. I can't imagine anything being more of a goat grab than the scene at the Oakton townhouse safe house. I mean, forget the word safe in safe house. We had too many people, too many cars. It was nothing less than a nightmare. Imagine this is a typical townhouse community. You drive in and there's sort of a circular area, people park their cars there and go to their little townhouses, and it's a nice townhouse in a, in a Washington was a suburb, but all of a sudden, all of these cars, and not every FBI office car always looks like a, you know, a, a current year Chevrolet stick shift, dark or brown or something like that, and then all of these people in this townhouse, and you were just almost jammed in. When you look back on it, you say, could you have done something different? Well, the CIA would have had to told the FBI, we'll get back to you on this. But the FBI would have said, no, you won't. We're going to be there. And that's the way it went in the first several weeks of this thing when the debriefing was just intense. 
Luckily, in the first several weeks, Yurchenko's adrenaline is pumping. He's very happy. He's super complimentary of the whole process. And he would say things like, oh, my God, your boys are the best. My boys would have been still trying to figure out what to do with somebody like me, but your boys had me taken care of, and bam, 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 I'm on an airplane, and now here I am in Virginia. And before those boys back in Rome even probably know I'm gone. Yurchenko was pumped at what he was doing. I mean, the appearance of his commitment to this betrayal looked like it was 100%. He had very few demands of us, but the one demand that came out to me was that you got to keep this secret. You can't let the whole world know that Vitaly Sergeyevich Yurchenko has defected to the CIA and is spilling the beans on everything that's going on with the KGB operations against the United States of America. And if you do that, then they'll convict me of treason and absentia and they'll sequester all my property, take my family's house away from them or apartment away from them and everything. And that's all I ask is that you keep it secret. And I thought, God, how are we going to do a thing like that? Because it was, I thought, just going to be in the course of events difficult to do. But as the way it played out, it became impossible. You're listening to I Spy, a production of Foreign Policy and Spyscape. We'll be right back. True Spies is the ultimate debrief on the stories only spies can tell. Week by week, mission by mission, you'll meet the people who navigate this secret world. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Listen now at spyscape.com forward slash I spy. Welcome back to I Spy. I'm Margot Martindale. We return to Milt Bearden's story about the Russian defector Vitaly Yurchenko. We finally moved Yurchenko out in the countryside to, to Coventry, Virginia, in a beautiful safe house that we secured that had acres and acres of property and privacy and a beaver pond and everything. And the debriefing began to go into more of a steady stream operation, and and the visitor stream began to diminish, and so it looked like it was moving into uh, something a little more comfortable for both us and for Yurchenko. But then the leaks began, and uh, the stories began appearing in the Washington press that CIA had a major KGB defector on their hands. And then the mood began to go down. In the business of defector resettlement, one issue that you have to be dealt with is the mood. The, the psychological situation of every defector Defection is possibly one of the most bizarre, one of the most 
adverse things that one officer in an intelligence service could possibly do. It's contrary to everything that you're supposed to be. So someone who does that in most cases has a number of major areas of concern psychologically, maybe a screw loose here or there. So we have in the defective resettling world psychologists who are dealing with this issue itself. But almost every defector is a potential re-defector, so you got to take his temperature psychologically through the whole process. As things had smoothed out, it became clear what Yachinka's real fundamental motivation for defecting. A couple of things were primary. His mother had died of stomach cancer, and he decided at that moment, this was less than a year earlier, I think, that he also had the beginnings of uh, stomach cancer. Uh, or colon cancer. He kind of was back and forth between that. And so he gave him a self-diagnosis. And that included the fact that he probably didn't have but a few years left to live. So he wanted to live them maybe away from a system to where he could do something that he's always wanted to do, just lay back and relax. But part of this was that a rather attractive woman, Valentina, the wife of a Soviet diplomat in Washington during Yurchenko's time in Washington, had struck up an affair with him. They'd had a semi-torrid love affair for most of the time that Yurchenko was there, and she was now posted with her husband in Montreal, in Canada. So part of his idea was, I'm going to bail out of the Soviet Union. I'm going to go to the Americans, give them their stuff that they need, that they want, and then they'll give me whatever I really want, whether it's a million, two million dollars, and a nice condo somewhere in Phoenix or wherever I want to go, Colorado, whatever. And then we'll go up to Canada and I'll ring Valentina's doorbell, and she'll open the door and say, my God, Vitali, Vitali, you're here, and throw herself into my arms, and off we go to spend my last years together with the woman I love. That's his story. So it comes out, and we say, okay, let's give it a try. And so we set it up with the Mounties, the Canadian Royal Mounted Police, and their intelligence service, and they set the situation up for us in Montreal, and we take him to the apartment complex. We know that she's there in the apartment alone, and her husband's at work, and Vitaly Sergeyevich rings the doorbell, all expectant of love and kisses, and she opens the door and takes one look at him, and he makes his very quick spiel, and she says, you know, Vitaly, I was, I was uh, in love with my KGB colonel, but don't think I'm going to be in love with a traitor. You're on your own. And just slammed the door in his face. Well, so now we have Yurchenko saying, the American doctors who have looked me over top to bottom and say that I don't have stomach cancer and I don't have colon cancer and that actually I'm in great shape and going to live for a long time, 
So I'm not dying. And then the true love of my life, who was going to live with me in those last years, somewhere in wonderful America, just blew me off. And now what? So he's already beginning his slide. So we take him off to a trip, a long trip to Las Vegas and around there, and he has no interest in, in anything and shows no interest in trying to find any female companionship of any kind whatsoever, whether it's professional or anything. And he begins to go into a little bit of a funk that begins to be driven more and more by the leaks in the press. And then I have a meeting with him in Coventry, and he says, I only asked that you, you not let this get into the press. That was really my only really firm and hard request, and there it is now. I don't know how that happened, but now my family will suffer and all my property will be sequestered. And why did you do that? I said, essentially, welcome to America. This is the way things work here. And Vitaly Sergeyevich, you ought to know that. You ought to know that because you were here. You guys know America sometimes better than we ourselves do because that's your job to really observe our strengths and our weaknesses. I just was hoping that there weren't going to be more leaks, but there were. One of the dark secrets that Yurchenko told us was about the murder of Georgi Artemonov, who was also known as Nicholas George Shadrin. This was a Soviet Navy officer who met a beautiful Polish woman named Eva and decided that he wanted to get out of there. This is back in 1979. And he stole a motorboat from his ship, got his uh, lovely Eva on board, and they made it across the Baltic Sea to Sweden and then ended up in the United States. Then over the next several years, he became a lecturer on Soviet military subjects and a real thorn in the side of the Soviets. And so they at first decided, well, let's try to get him to redefect to us and denounce the Americans. They gave up on that and then finally made the decision in the early 80s, let's just kidnap him and get him back here and then put the screws to him. So uh, he was lured to Austria and went off and was kidnapped, thrown in the trunk of the car, and drugged. And they were going to take him off across the border into Hungary and then onward. When they got across the border, they opened the trunk of the car, and Nicholas Chadrin was dead. Chadrin had been working for the Defense Department at the time, so we had to inform them. And then there at that moment, uh, we had discovered that his wife, Ava, had a lawsuit against the Defense Department for letting him go to Vienna and disappear. So I have to go out to Coventry and take a walk with Yurchenko and explain that the Chadrin case 
had come up and that he might even be asked to go to court. This was the deepest, darkest secret he thinks he told us, and he just kind of took it sort of calmly. But I think that's one of the moments where he decided, I'm going back. By now, he's been here about 90 days, and the debriefings were still going on, but they weren't anything big. We were now getting down to diagramming different elements in the KGB and all of that. And there were always a couple of security officers out there for protection, and a young, young security officer by the name of Tom Hanna was there, and Yerchenko says, I want to go shopping. And so he took him off to one of the local department stores and he bought some stuff. And then he says, I, maybe I want to go eat uh, some French food downtown. Let's go there. And, and Hannah made the decision sort of on the spot that, yeah, that's okay, because they took him down there for Halloween night and that had been okay. So they went to a place on Wisconsin Avenue called Au Pied de Cochon, and uh, it was an overstatement that it was a good French restaurant, but never mind that. They were in there, and then he stands up and looks at Tom Hanna and says, I'm leaving, and don't worry, this is not your fault. And he walks out the door, and Hanna sits there for a while, and then he calls another one of the debriefers and says, guys, walked out and this became the oh god moment he went down around wisconsin avenue started looking for him and everybody's looking for yurchenko it was a dark day in the soviet east european division about a day later the soviets called a press conference at their embassy and they're describing that he has redefected, escaped from the horrible CIA who kidnapped him in Rome, drugged him and kidnapped him, brought him to the U.S., kept him drugged all for the last 90 days while they were trying to work with truth serum and you know do, get the secrets out of him until he was able to outwit the bumbling CIA and escape and make his way into the safety of the Soviet embassy. And uh, he was going to go home. And what are you guys going to do about it? So what the only thing you can do about it is what the State Department calls a confrontation. So a couple of days later, we go to the seventh floor office of the secretary, and the Soviets bring their team and Yurchenko in. And one of the assistant secretaries of state asked the fundamental question, saying, Vitaly Sergeyevich, Yurchenko, are you going home of your own free will? Are you unencumbered, not under threat or other pressures from the Soviet Union? And he says, absolutely not. I'm freely going home. These people have all been drugging me and abusing me. And then he stopped and pointed across at me and said, not that man. He didn't drug me, and I don't think he knew about it. And I thought, Vitaly, don't do me any favors. You know, I don't need that. But he did that for some reason, and then it was, the party was over. I'd gone to Moscow after this. Uh, 
still is uh, deputy chief of the Soviet uh, East European Division and developed some kind of interesting friendly contacts with the KGB guys that would manage my visits and a few of them would kind of speak out of class and I'd say, yeah, what, whatever happened to Vitaly Sergeyevich? And they said, oh, he's got a job in a security officer in a bank, but we've got him pretty much under control. And I could tell from the tone is that they absolutely knew that he had betrayed them and was a huge traitor, but that they had been caught up in their own story. And so they had to let him look like he was back and a free man and backing up the story of the kidnapping, which they were still teaching in their school to KGB officers, that you got to be careful because Americans will drug you and kidnap you. But it was clear they knew that he had, what he had done. And to the point that one of them one time said to me, you know, he'll have his rewards. In a very ironic sense, he said that. Milt Bearden served around the world for the CIA in a career that spanned three decades. He describes his experiences in several books, including The Main Enemy, the inside story of the CIA's final showdown with the KGB, co-written by James Risen. I Spy is a production of Foreign Policy. Our executive editor is Dan Efron. Rob Sachs, Amy McKinnon, and Dan Haverty helped produce today's show. The interview with Bearden was conducted by Dan Efron. If you have tips or suggestions, please write to us, ispy at foreignpolicy.com. If you like the show, please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave us a review. It really helps us a lot. Foreign Policy subscribers can sign up to get bonus episodes in your podcast app. Go to foreignpolicy.com slash iSpy. If you're not a subscriber, you can still get access to additional excerpts and interviews by joining iSpy+. For details, go to foreignpolicy.com slash iSpy. You'll also find a link to our Facebook page where you can get the latest updates and hear directly from the producers of iSpy. Next week on the show... Thomas Drake discovers the agency he works for is conducting surveillance on American citizens. I knew going to the press was always an option, except going to the press is fraught with enormous peril. You're touching the third rail. And I knew as soon as I did that, it was a matter of when, not if. Uh, I would be picked up, arrested, and or raided by the FBI. That's next week on I Spy. I'm Margot Martindale. As I was saying, True Spies is a new podcast in which real spies tell us about their role in the espionage operations that changed history. True Spies. Week by week, mission by mission, meet the people who navigate this secret world. It was going to be a massacre. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Look for True Spies wherever you get your podcasts.